The last verse was worth it, right? Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Well, today the gospel reading really requires us to take up a heavy topic. It's kind of like the root canal of theological thought. No one wants to do it, but sometimes it's just necessary. Three times in the gospel reading today, Jesus talks about hell. And I don't know anyone who really likes to talk about hell. In fact, some reject the idea of hell altogether because they simply can't tolerate the thought of it. Yet it is a true doctrine of Christianity grounded in the teaching of Jesus Christ himself. Now I want to assure you that today's message is not all about bad news. It's just that in order to fully understand why the gospel is truly good news, we have to do it in light of the words and the warnings of some very bad news. So to set the stage for all of this, first let's talk about Jesus. What exactly is it that he came to do? Why is it that God took on flesh and lived among us? The first part of our reading gives us the answer. Jesus came to cast out and to conquer evil. Jesus came to cast out and to conquer evil. Whatever else we're going to say about the disciples and the concern they had about this unknown man casting out demons in the name of Jesus, the point is this. Demons are real. Demons are real. They are fallen angels. They are evil, and they are at work doing evil in the world. Ever notice how often non-Christians talk about demons? It's all over Hollywood. Even at athletic events, sometimes you'll hear announcers quip that that guy's trying to exercise his demons. Maybe he is. (laughs) Not to mention the real cults in this world and the very real occult practices that take place in our world. Folks, there truly are evil things going on in this world driven by the demonic realm. And so Jesus does indeed approve of the man who is casting out a demon, for that man's work is an extension of the work that Jesus himself came to do. Over and over again in the Gospels, we see Jesus casting out demons. And after Jesus himself ascends into heaven, we see the disciples continuing to do this very same thing. And not just the early church of antiquity that we read about in scripture, but the church in every age and in every place throughout human history. And guess what? You and I, you and I today are under the very same mandate to cast out evil wherever we find it today. We are under the very same mandate to cast out evil wherever we find it today. Yet, as much as we Christians are called to cast out evil, to drive it far from us, we know that we don't have the power in ourselves to fully conquer evil. For one day, we will all fall prey to the greatest evil, the evil of our own death. 
Death is that great reminder that something is not right in this world. Something is wrong. Death tells us that it's not supposed to be this way. That painful and perilous reality that separates us from friends and family and even life itself and leaves so many wondering, is this really all there is? Is this how it ends? Does death, in fact, win? That's the question. Of course, the good news of God in Christ Jesus is that death does not have to win. Jesus has conquered this greatest of all evils by rising to life again after his crucifixion. We call that what? Easter, right? That's the great Easter feast that we celebrate every year. And as we often say, every Sunday morning is a mini Easter. We come to celebrate the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, our Savior. And so the question that comes to all of us is this. In light of what Jesus has done for us, what will we do? What will we choose? How will we respond to him? And he only gives us two options, heaven or hell. So to be clear, here are the things that we need to know about hell. The first thing that we need to know is that hell is definitely real. Make no mistake about it, hell is real. Again, Jesus talked and taught a lot about hell in the Gospels. In Matthew 25, Jesus talks about this final judgment that is to come, and he draws some very sharp distinctions in this passage. He says that there are some who will be justified as righteous, and there are others who will be condemned as wicked. And he concludes his teaching with these final, forceful, and very sobering words. The righteous will inherit eternal life, he says. That's the good news. But he also says the wicked will, they will go away into eternal punishment. That's the bad news. So first and foremost, let us not deceive ourselves Hell is real. But secondly, we need to know this. Hell was not prepared for us. Hell was not prepared for us. In the same parable from Matthew 25, Jesus says these words, that the eternal fire of hell was actually made for the devil and these fallen angels that we call demons. Now that certainly should sound a little bit better, doesn't it? Hell was not prepared for us. It is indeed comforting to know that God does not want for us to end up in hell. The Bible says very plainly, God desires not the death of a sinner, but rather that he would turn from his wickedness and live. So the simple point is this, don't act like the devil and you won't end up where he is. And that's encouraging too, right? But the only problem is for so many people is this, they think the other guy's headed to hell. That hell is somehow reserved for the Hitlers and the Bin Ladens and people like that. The really notorious and egregious sinners of the world. But before we wash our hands of the problem, let's go back to our text from today. Jesus says what? If your hand causes you to sin, 
if your foot causes you to sin, if your eye causes you to sin, the emphasis, of course, being on you and your sin, not his or her sin. And these things serve as warning signs, right? They're like spiritual traffic signals. Stop, warning, there is danger ahead, don't go there, don't do that. What, what would we do without warning signs? It would be chaos, wouldn't it? And that's the point. Hell is real. Hell is not meant for us. So God gives us warning signs in the Bible and he warns us because he loves us. He warns us because he loves us. What do we do as parents? Don't run in the street. Don't put your hands on the hot stove. What do we say as Christians? Read your Bibles. Do what we're supposed to do. Don't do what we're not supposed to do. And God also warns us because of this third thing that we need to know about hell. This is the hardest one of all. Hell is final. Hell is final. And friends, we have to be clear about this so that we don't deceive ourselves. Yes, God is loving. Yes, God is forgiving. Yes, God is merciful. But God is also a God of justice. We are a people of justice, are we not? Nobody wants the bad guy to win. Who would go to the movies? Who would read books? What songs would be written if the bad guy won? Why do we have a legal system? Why do we teach our children to do right and avoid wrong? More especially, why do we hate the bad things that we do in our own lives? You see, my friends, every day we wake up between two realities. On the one hand, we see the goodness of God in creation, right? Do we wake up to a beautiful morning with the sun rising and the cool fall temperatures that bring us relief? And we see the wind blowing in the trees and the birds flying through the air and we see the goodness of God in creation and this anticipates for us the glory of God in his heaven. On the other hand, every day we wake up and we see glimpses of hell, war, political and economic injustice, the destruction of the family, death itself, causing a little one to sin, as Jesus says, and sadly, tragically, we could go on and on and on. But here's the thing. God will not let evil go on and on and on. And there are only three options in how he's going to deal with it. The first thing God could do is he could just overlook evil. He could pretend like it doesn't exist, turn a blind eye, but that would be an offense to his justice. Secondly, because he is a just God who exercises justice and in view of our sin, the offenses that we ourselves commit, God could punish us all forever and he would be justified in doing that as hard as that is to hear. Or he has a third option. Because of his love for us, he could show us mercy and he could forgive us and that's exactly what he did. 
Jesus came to cast out and to conquer evil, and he won that victory fully and finally at the cross of his crucifixion 2,000 years ago, rising from the dead three days later, offering the promise of abundance life, abundant life to all who call upon his name and the inheritance of eternal life in his heaven, where we will dwell with him forever. Now for some really, really good news. We've been studying the book of Revelation in our morning Bible study. And we actually did a funeral here yesterday of a fellow who was a good friend of mine, a good Christian man, a guy I loved, a guy I spent time with, a guy I really hated to lose, and he left this life too early. And at the funeral service, the family chose one of my favorite passages in all of scripture, and I just wanna read it to you as it's given to us from the book of Revelation, and I hope that you will hear it and that it will soak deeply into your souls as you listen. The apostle John writes and he says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And then... He who was seated on the throne said this, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and they are true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. And to the one who conquers, you will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son." My friends, I don't know about you, but to me, that's not just good news. It's the best news I've ever heard. That is fantastic news. And that should cause us to rejoice because God has not forgotten us nor left us to our own devices, but he is at work preparing a place for the faithful where we will be with him for all of eternity, where we can live and love and enjoy him and each other without sin or death anymore, forever. That's powerful news. So with these things in mind, here's the last thing then that we need to know about hell. In the timeless words of C.S. Lewis, he writes, the gates of hell are actually locked from the inside. The gates of hell are locked from the inside, meaning that hell is something we choose for ourselves by the act of our own free will. God never stops loving us. But here's the reality. Those who are in heaven in the end will feel the fire of God's love burning for them, while those who suffer the terrible torment of hell will still feel God's love. They will only feel it burning against them because they refused it. Hell 
is something we choose for ourselves by the act of our own free will, right? If we don't have free will, then we don't know what love is. We're not robots. God is not a dictator. He's given us the capacity to choose him and to love him. And with that capacity comes the same capacity to fully and finally reject him if we so choose. Will the prodigal son come home or won't he? Will the prodigal son come home or won't he? He has the choice. The choice of life and death are laid out before him, so I'll end here. The creed that we're about to recite instructs us that Jesus will come again to judge the living and the dead. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 9.27 that man is appointed once to die and then the judgment. We don't get second and third and fourth chances. This is our season of mercy in this earthly life. And when we die, that will be the season of our judgment. And Romans 14.12 instructs us that each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. But the promise, the promise offered to us during our earthly life is this. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we don't have to fear. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we do not have to live in fear. And where we end up in eternity will come down to how we answer three questions. Who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? Secondly, how do you respond to his claims? He uniquely claimed to be God, and in word and deed, he lived it out for us through his death to his glorious resurrection. And thirdly, will you live in obedience to his word? Because he tells us, we read it in Revelation this morning, those who persevere to the end will be saved. So now I want to ask you one final question in light of our reading from Revelation. We're all thirsty. The only question is, what are we thirsting after? Are you thirsting after the fleeting fancies of this world that can offer you no ultimate satisfaction? They can't do it. Paul says they're dumb idols. They're deaf, they're mute. They can't hear you when you call. They can't answer you when you speak to them. What are you thirsty for? Or are you thirsty for Jesus? Jesus says that if we thirst from him, he will give us from the springs of water of life without payment. We don't have to do anything. When we thirst from him, he gives us life and he pours it into us like a stream of living water and we don't have to do anything but soak in it and be swept away by it and cleansed and healed and forgiven and set free. And then he says, the one who conquers will have this heritage and God will be our God and we will be his people forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you. That was a solid amen, brother. <laughs>